Gentlemen, good evening everyone, good to see you tonight, trust your week is going well, uh, all kinds of things going on all the time in my life as it intersects with your lives, <laughs> but uh, praise the Lord for who he is and uh, the privilege to serve together for such a time as this. Yeah, I was thinking, Vince, about what you were talking about, the northeast up there. They call that the, burn, the burned-over district. Finney would come in there, have revival, and everybody would supposed to make an emotional commitment. He'd leave. They'd go right back their old ways. Come back the next year, do the same thing. They kept doing it, and it got harder and harder and harder. That area is the hardest area of the country today because it's a burned-over district. And I think that emotionalism, where you don't have sound doctrine, and Finney had all kinds of <laughs> doctrinal issues even, no, really, when it's all said and done, uh, it was not that great. I'm sure some people got saved too, but. <laughs> yeah. 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 I've heard that for years and years. That, that's really sad, but anyway. Well, uh, you have your Bible, so let's turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 tonight. We want to look at verses 9 through 12. Brotherly love and a properly ordered life is what I've titled this, and you will see why as we work our way through the text here. Let's uh, ask the Lord to, to bless our study. Father, we do thank you for the privilege to be here tonight. And uh, Lord, we don't want to take the local church for granted. Uh, we are blessed to be able to serve together. And uh, Lord, we do pray for the Northeast there, that there could be uh, uh, many more that would come to know Christ, that there could be local churches uh, raised up, and that you would raise up uh, people, uh, godly leaders who would uh, uh, plant churches, and, and we would see you do a great work there. So, Lord, they need our prayers, and we and we lift them up tonight. Lord, uh, we also pray for Awana. It's a glow night. Pray that you keep all the kids safe, running in the dark. It's a fun time, but a little dangerous. But uh, just pray that you would protect everybody and be a good a good evening, especially the ministry of the word, and then also for youth group. Thank you for all of our workers, our leaders there. Uh, bless their ministry of the word as well. So we commit our time in the word to you now. Thank you for the privilege to be together. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, you note the outline here. We are still in uh, chapter 4, exhortation to, to holy living. So we're still uh, emphasizing that uh, theme here as we've worked our way through the book uh, to this point. Paul had been at Thessalonica for a very short time, just a few weeks, and uh, they'd had a great response to the gospel. He was a little concerned about whether it was going to stick or not, but after Timothy comes back with a follow-up report, he's really encouraged. Uh, they are going strong with the Lord, and uh, we see there in uh, chapter uh, 1, uh, they had a labor of love going on, and he was very encouraged by this. Still, uh, there was more work to do, more follow-up work to do. We see in chapter 3, verse 10, he says, Night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect or complete what is lacking in your faith. So there were still some gaps. There was some need for some growth here. And he's hoping to connect with them to where he'd be able to uh, fill in those gaps. And in particular, notice he continues on, really, that's the question uh, that he's desiring to, when he can come to see them. But verse 11 in there, chapter 3, verse 11, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So he's asking 
uh, the, the, they would grow in their love, uh, so that he may establish uh, your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. So really, a couple things. He's emphasizing love and holiness. And I think then he fleshes this out, what is lacking in their faith, in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And uh, we saw there, as we got into uh, chapter uh, 4, the first eight verses there, really an emphasis on uh, sexual purity. Uh, you know, to be where we ought to be uh, demands that we uh, be committed to the Lord in this way. And, and so he really hammers that in those first eight verses. Well, we pick it up now. Uh, let's see here. Uh, we could outline chapter 4 in this way. Uh, there's an emphasis on holiness, uh, sexual purity in particular in, in verses 1 through 8. Now brotherly love in verses 9 through 12. And finally, uh, wrapping up uh, the chapter, the Lord's coming in verses 13 through 18. So tonight, uh, 9 through 12 is what we're looking at. Let's have somebody read verses 9 and 10. Who wants to read that for us? Uh, 9 and 10. Yeah, Jeff? But concerning brotherly love, you have Okay, so, wow, this is pretty, pretty interesting. He starts out with the word uh, translated in my uh, translation, but, which is in the Greek, uh, peride, which is a transition word that Paul often uses uh, when he's introducing a, a new subject, uh, perhaps related, often related, but still a little different subject. And so he's kind of, he's been talking about sexual purity. He's, he's switching gears just a little bit here. But, uh, um, so I got a slide here, so let me put that up here. <clears throat> in contrast to the subject of sinful lust and immorality that he has just dealt with, uh, is the subject of brotherly love uh, that he now deals with in verses 9 through 12. Verses 9 and 10 deal with explicitly with brotherly love, but it seems that the application of that love is then extended to the exhortations found in verses 11 and 12. It is the application of this love that drives the thought throughout this whole paragraph. So uh, we're really talking about uh, brotherly love in shoe leather here. And uh, so that's really what he's going to be talking about. So he says, uh, but concerning brotherly love, this is, uh, Vince, uh, the word Philadelphia, right? <laughs> uh, family love is the idea. It's a, really a combination of two words, uh, brother and, and love. And uh, really the, the sense is family love, that family bond that we have and this means that we all have the same spiritual father, right? We're, we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so concerning brotherly love, he says, you have no need that I should write to you. That's kind of an amazing statement. You think, well, you know, love is the most important thing. It's uh, the defining trait in Christianity. I need to write volumes to you on this, right? He says, I don't have to write to you about this. I have no need that I should write to you. Uh, it's so basic. It's so inherent. And how come? Well, he, he says why. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Wow. Taught by God to love one another. And it's so basic. He says, I don't even really need to spell it out for you. I don't need to enlarge upon this. Uh, taught by God is in present tense. It's an ongoing lesson. Uh, God is teaching us. This really relates to the heart. Uh, God teaches us uh, in the heart. By way of the Holy Spirit. Remember what he said back there in verse 8 before we get to uh, verse 9. 
He said, therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has given us his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate teacher. And one of his main lessons is about love. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God. He lives inside of us as believers, and he's teaching us about love. Uh, he says, you yourselves are taught by God. Wow, personally, God's teaching you. I, I don't have to really even write about this. No need that I should write to you. You yourselves are taught uh, by God. What? To do what? To love one another. To love one another. Love is the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, The essence of the new covenant is that God puts his law in our minds and writes it on our hearts. I mean, if you go back and study the new covenant, that's what the new covenant is all about. God changes us from the inside out. And that begins with conversion. Uh, There is a a radical change. What is this law? He writes his uh, law in our minds and on our hearts. What is this law? Well, it's a law of Christ, which is the law of love. Uh, this This is God's doing. You say, well, somebody taught me I didn't get this from God. Oh, yes, you did. Uh, God has done a work in your heart, and he has given you some insight there in in relationship to love. Uh, Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 5. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. Um, You know, we can love one another because of the Holy Spirit's work, because God is teaching us in relationship uh, to love. And uh, it's such a defining issue. Uh, So strong is this reality of God-taught love that John says, 1 John 3, 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. What's that mean? Well, we know we're Christians. We know we're saved. How do we know it? Well, uh, because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. You know, he he had learned a thing. He doesn't know God. If, he, if, you don't, if you don't know anything about love, you don't know God. To know God is to know his love, is to be taught of God. And so we have this love bond. We're taught by God to love one another. He's really talking about the family of God here. And certainly we love everybody as far as the world. We're concerned about them. That's why we tell them the things that they don't want to hear, right? <laughs> because they need to hear it. It's uh, evangelistically, we love them. We're concerned about them as far as their soul, as far as their eternal destiny. But really here he's talking about love one another. He's talking about the family bond. You know, he's talking about brotherly love, family love, the bond that we have in Jesus Christ. And uh, let's see, I've got one more slide here. The very instant we come to saving faith, the God of love comes to indwell us. And from that moment, he begins to personally teach us about love. Note in verse 8, the emphasis is on holiness. And in verse 9, it's on love. These are the two great distinctive emphases related to the Spirit's ministry. If, if one really has the Holy Spirit, the fruit will be something of his love and of his holiness in the life. I, I really think if the living God lives in you, there will be something of uh, love, the love of God, something of holiness. Uh, God will be at work in you. And that's what he says in, in you know, Hebrews chapter 12, that, God's disciplining all of his children to build holiness into our lives. Well, uh, you know, sometimes it's a struggle, though, to love one another as we should, right? Um, I had a relative write me today. He's a young Christian. 
And uh, he said, what's, uh, what's it mean in 1 Peter 4, 8 that love covers a multitude of sins? And he was trying to figure this out. He said, I said, well, look at the context. It's got one another three times in the context. Just talking about body life and uh, forgiveness. It covers a multitude of sins. I mean, we're not perfect yet, and we will rub each other the wrong way. We will do things and say things, and, and uh, you know, what's necessary for, for healthy body life? Well, we need to be big forgivers, like our God is a big forgiver, covers a multitude of sins. Uh, but you know, we all that old ditty, right? Uh, to dwell above with saints we love, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, now that's another story, you know. Uh, sometimes it, it can be a struggle, and you say, well, why is that? Why is it such a struggle sometimes to, to love these people we know we should love? We still have our flesh, yep. That's true, too. Sometimes it's not even a sin issue necessarily, it's just you bug me. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I sometimes think, too, maybe the person, if, if they absolutely uh, will not be forgiving, will not get along, and are a constant troublemaker, maybe they're not saved. I, I think the devil has plants always going on in the body where he is trying to cause upheaval. And, and sometimes it's like, meh, maybe there's a deep spiritual problem here. Uh, only God knows many times. But, yeah, we still have the flesh, too. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good. We can kind of get in the way of the Spirit's leading us. And teaching us and being what we ought to be, for sure, absolutely. No excuse for it, though, is there? I mean, you think about it, nobody has an excuse for sin in a sense, but we especially as believers who now have the Holy Spirit have been freed from the penalty of sin, the power of sin. There's really no excuse. We are in process, and we won't be perfect until we get the glory. So we all realize, as James says, we all stumble in many ways. But still, no excuse for it. <laughs> For being unloving. That's true. Uh, note the word uh, one another with love here. Love one another. You know, there's, uh, this thing about love is it requires another, right? Uh, self-love, if you're just all about self, that's really not the proper perspective. I mean, we're to love one another, and it requires another. It has another in it. And this is the defining, really, I think the key defining reality for true Christians. I mean, Christ said this, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, that you're my followers, if, if you have love one for another. I mean, this is the defining trait. And notice he says it's a new commandment. Why is this a new commandment? Weren't they told to love one another in the Old Testament? Yeah, they were. What's new about it? What? That, that's right. The qualifier there, as I have loved you. Right. I mean, we are. And, and so Christ kind of gave us a whole new standard that is, is a new standard where actually, I mean, he's willing to go to the cross and, and 
die for our sins, which is the ultimate expression of love. Okay, um, any other thoughts there before we go to verse 10? Yep. Right, right. I'm sure glad God didn't act that way. I mean, just think if God would would have operated on that level, where would we be? God so loved the world that He gave. I mean, out of love, His only begotten Son. So, yeah, it's 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 real human to think that way, though, isn't it? It's kind of natural thinking. Yeah, Dwayne. Boy, that is a great question. It doesn't say good things, that's for sure. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, verse 10. uh, And he says here, and indeed you do so. Uh, You know, you're taught by God to love one. And you do. You're doing this. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. So... um, Again, he had started out the letter by talking about their labor of love. They, they were known for their love, their labor of love. And he went on to say uh, that he knew that they were the elective God, right in that same context. It's kind of like, this is evidence of, of the fact that you're true Christians. And uh, how they had received uh, the word, as he says in, in chapter 2, verse 13, uh, and how the word effectively worked in them. I think this is how it worked its way out in their lives, is, is they loved one another. And, and this was clearly on display. And he says, indeed, you do so. So they were putting this into practice. And he says, toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. Macedonia was a large area. It was a, Mas- it was a Roman province. And uh, it had the cities, the only other two cities we know of where there were Christians were uh, uh, Philippi and Berea. Thessalonica was a major commercial port there, a lot of traffic through Thessalonica. So when he talks about, you know, Macedonia is a big area, but especially in this area here where Paul had uh, planted some churches or, um, yeah. Um, what, um, what do you think he's got in mind here when he says, indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia? I mean, how are they loving? I mean, you could say, well, hey, you're, you're loving the brother, you know, in the church. He's talking about the whole province. In, in what way would they be loving all the brethren in Macedonia? They could be praying for them. Gifts. Oh, oh, well, I don't know if there was a whole lot of missionary activity going on just yet. <laughs> I mean, Paul was doing his thing, and I'm sure they were reaching out. We know the word had sounded out from them, as he said in chapter 1. Commentaries bring out, a huge thing that we don't think about so often in our day, where we've got all kinds of motels and hotels, is they didn't have uh, reputable motels and hotels. And a lot of people were probably looking for some place to stay as they would come through this uh, major commercial uh, trade route there and the port area there. Uh, Thessalonica was a, was a hub. Uh, where can we stay? Well, hey, got a reputation. There's, there's Christians here. And so they really think that might have been a huge part of it, hospitality. Hospitality was a really huge thing in the early church in that regard. So you could be loving 
the brethren in the whole province, as they're coming through your area, having business at Thessalonica, uh, hey, you got a place to stay here. Uh, what, what a, now we don't know for sure, he doesn't flesh it out, but that's a pretty good guess, uh, probably. All right. Um, let's, yes. Sure. Sure. Well, I think that is certainly true. Uh, whatever's in view, that, that, that is true. It's kind of interesting that he specifically talks about Macedonia. It's almost like they had some connection with the brothers there that are represented. Like we say, the only two churches we know are about Berea and Philippi. Uh, so there may have been some others, but these are really the only places we really know uh, in Macedonia where there were uh, established Christians. So um, anyway, yeah, that's certainly true. Okay, um, then he says, uh, you do this. You're loving, and that's good, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And say, you know what? You guys have kind of tapped out on the love quotient. I mean, you're, you're all good here. No, 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 no. Uh, you're doing it. You're taught by God to love, and you are loving uh, all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Um, so no need to be taught. But we do want to encourage you. <laughs> we want to urge you to even do it more. So sometimes, you know, you know it, but you need to kind of be encouraged to do it. And that's what he's encouraging more and more. He wants them to excel more and more. Uh, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. This is kind of a, a dominant theme here. Uh, note in these verses, uh, three times, 312, the Lord make you increase and abound in love. Increase and abound in love. And then 4.1, finally, brethren, we urge you and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you abound more and more. And now again here in 4.10, uh, indeed that you do so to our other brethren, Master, we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So that's kind of a, a theme that's coming through here as far as uh, more and more. Well, he's got some things in, in view here. How does this look? Uh, well, he's kind of, I think, is building on this. This is really not the end of his thought here. At the end of verse 10, I think it spills over into what we find in verses 11 and 12 in terms of loving in a practical way. And uh, so with that, let's have somebody read verses 11 and 12. Who wants to read that for us? Yeah, John? 11 and 12. Wow, these are some interesting verses. Very practical. Uh, notice he begins here. Uh, he's, this is, again, building on this idea of increasing more and more in love. So it seems what he's emphasizing here is in keeping with, with love. Not taking advantage of the body, but being a responsible member in the body of Christ, in, which is in keeping with love. And uh, so notice he says here, he begins here, that you aspire to lead a quiet life. Um, strive to live quietly. Uh, you know, I've said, th this would make a great life verse for, for anybody. And it starts with, shut up, yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, he's not talking just verbally. I think he's talking about a lifestyle that you as aspire to lead a quiet life. Uh, one that is not disruptive. Um, let's see here. 
there is a context here related to eschatological excitement over the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is mentioned in every chapter. Evidently, there was a spirit of fanaticism on the part of some. They were so wildly excited about the Lord's coming, they were out of balance. They were all agitated and frantically rattling on and on about the coming of the Lord. But in the process, they were becoming a nuisance and a bad testimony. Paul tells them to settle down. Cultivate a lifestyle of balanced calmness. It's kind of interesting. Uh, the, the general tenor of the book would, would indicate this is probably a concern here, and especially as he builds on uh, mind your own business and work with your own hands. Uh, so the, 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 he says, really, make it your goal to not be obnoxiously clamorous. Uh, you know, don't be disturbing the peace. And uh, this is kind of interesting because this church at Thessalonica was, and he commends them that they were, from the very first, they were looking for the coming of the Lord. And, and they, they bought into that, and they were excited about that. And that's good, but there were also uh, some concerns, and they were a little out of balance in some ways. Um, let's see here. Certainly, we are to be excited about the coming of the Lord. But it is to be a self-controlled, self-disciplined excitement. Certainly, the Lord's coming is our blessed hope. There is a special crown for those who love His appearing. However, there is a proper manner and demeanor uh, to have in waiting. It is to be accompanied with a restfulness and quietness in our spirit, not out-of-control fanaticism. Uh, I like this quote uh, from uh, John Wesley. Uh, John Wesley was asked, uh, What would you do if you knew the Lord was coming in three days' time? Wesley replied, I, I should do just the work I have already planned to do. Ministering in one place, meeting my preachers in another, lodging in yet another place, till the moment came that I was called to higher service. <laughs> you know what Wesley said? I'm not going to change my schedule. I'm just going to keep on, keep on doing what I'm doing. Just writing, you know, just... And that's, that's a great attitude. It's like, I, I wonder if, you know, we really knew the Lord was coming in three days. And, of course, might be a good question for Wesley, too. Would you change your schedule just a little? <laughs> well, he said no. I mean, I, like that, I love that attitude. Uh, we want to live a quiet life. Uh, Paul says to pray. I exhort there, first of all, that supplication, prayers, and intercession can be thanks be made for all men. For kings and all who are in authority, to what, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness. That's a, that's, a, that's a great thing when we can do that. That's, that's a wonderful blessing when we can live a quiet and peaceable life. But we're not disturbing the peace. You know, we don't, we don't want to be those people. <clears throat> so he says that you aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, like I say, great life verse. Live a quiet life. Mind your own business. Uh, in other words, when he says mind your own business, he's saying don't be meddlesome. Don't be meddlesome. Uh, you know, some people just kind of are really very interested in everybody's business. It's not necessarily a good thing in the name of prayer requests. Uh, we, have to be, we have to be careful. You know... Bless their hearts. We, we have some family <laughs> that sometimes take it a little too far as far as wanting to know everything about what we're doing every time, all, every little thing. I mean, in COVID, we couldn't hardly leave the house without them wanting to know, where are you going? What you doing? It's like, okay. Uh, is it your business? I always tell my wife, it's none of their business. You don't have to tell them anything. Uh, meddlesome. Uh, I like to say sometimes, sometimes stay, stay in your own lane. People like to sometimes run in other people's lane. It's like, maybe just worry about your lane. 
instead of everybody else's lane. Uh, mind your own business. Mind your own business. Don't stick your nose in other people's business. Uh, you know, sometimes you stick your nose in other people's business, you, it can, you can end up with a broken nose. <laughs> it's not a good idea. Uh, it's not a good testimony, really. Now, I'm not talking about biblical accountability. Uh, certainly there is accountability, uh, biblical accountability. But uh, this is just plain meddlesome. You want to meddle. Very, overly, too, too much uh, getting involved in everybody's stuff. Uh, and these kind of people, a lot of times, they, they've, got all, they've got all kinds of know-how and, and they know better and, and they're just interjecting everything. Mind your own business, he's saying. And I think this goes along with when you're not working. Uh, you know, you need to do something. And if you're not working, you're probably getting in trouble and meddling. And uh, I like to say, don't play God, you know. Uh, there's, there's not uh, an opening for the fourth member of the Trinity here. Just, just leave that alone. Uh, strong emphasis here uh, in 2 Thessalonians, which builds on 1 Thessalonians, we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Yeah, that's, that's the problem here. They're not minding their own business. They're busybodies involved in everybody else's business. And uh, 1 Peter, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, or an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Isn't it kind of interesting that busybody is in the same sentence with murderers, thieves, and, and evildoers? You say, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not a murderer. Yeah, but you're a busybody. Uh, that's, that's in the same sentence. It's not a good thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Critical spirit. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. That's true. Uh, mind, mind your own business. I mean, it's right there. Aspire to lead a, a quiet life. Don't disturb the peace. Uh, mind your own business. I mean, there's a proper time. You know, well, I could tell you stories here, and I won't because, you know... <laughs> I know too much sometimes, but anyway, you know, where people just go too far. And sometimes they even mean well, but just not wise. And maybe it's just not your business. Uh, when it's time for it to be your business, it'll, it'll be your business. But maybe, you know, we just need to be careful. Mind your own business. And then he says, and to work with your own hands. Uh, idleness is, uh, as they say, the devil's workshop. Work with your own hands. Um, you know... Good to, we know the Lord's coming, and we're expecting Him. We've been expecting for almost, well, 2,000 years now, right? <laughs> Imagine if nobody worked during that 2,000 years. Boy, I mean, we're talking a lot of, a lot of freeloaders. <laughs> work! He says, work with your own hands. Uh, don't be moochers. Don't be sponging off. Uh, now, of course, you know, uh, there are certain people, because of physical disability or what, we're not talking that. We're talking able-bodied people here. And, uh, you know, he really has to kind of hammer this. I mean, he builds on this, as we see in 2 Thessalonians. Even when we were with you, we commanded you this. Again, commanded, not suggested. If anyone will not work, neither should eat. Hey, go to work. No free lunch here. And people expect that. You know, a Christian should just be a soft touch, right? Just, just give me what I want. And people call me almost all the time. 
They email me. They're calling me. They, they, they want some. And it's not we don't want to help. I mean, if you, des- if you definitely are in a situation where you need help, and it's legitimate, but a lot, of, a lot of people out here just want free lunch. And they don't, have, they don't want to work. Uh, if any will not work, neither should eat. And, and sometimes the worst are, we'll work for food. But then when you challenge them on that, they don't really want to work for food. They just want the food. And, and sometimes they don't want the food. They want the cash so they can get the liquor, uh, you know, so they can get the food down a little easier. Anyway, uh, if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all. They're not working. They're busybodies. Yeah, they're getting into trouble. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness. There's that quietness idea again. And eat their own bread. So again, there's kind of a, a big picture here as far as these people who are uh, kind of sponging off the body here. He says, that's not love. That's not brotherly love. That's not how you should carry on. And notice he says, as we commanded you. Uh, it wasn't a suggestion. This was a strong command. Laziness is not a good testimony. It's not a good character trait. Uh, wants them to, to work. And uh, it's not spiritually healthy just to sit around and, and sponge off the body of Christ. And you know what? It's a loving family. Here. They'll just give you what you want. Uh, mm, uh, you won't work. And you can work. Neither should you eat. I mean, I didn't come up with that. Paul said that as we commanded you, as he says. And then he says that you may walk properly. So all that he's talking about relates to a proper walk. Uh, this is practical love, living a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your own hands. This is really in keeping with brotherly love as you think about body life and how it functions. Uh, that you may walk properly, that is decently, in, in a respectable, balanced way, um, fulfilling your obligations, your duties. That you may walk properly. This is your walk, how you conduct yourself. And then he says... Towards those that are outside. Guess what? Unbelievers are watching how you're carrying on as a family of God here. And he's saying uh, that you may walk properly toward those that are outside. Those, these are the unbelievers, those that are outside Christ, outside the family of God, outside salvation. And everybody's either inside or outside, right, when it comes to the family of God. Uh, I, I you know, talk about this old song here. One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. Inside and outside, on which side are you? One door and only one, and yet its sides are two. I'm on the inside, on which side are you? That is kind of the ultimate issue, isn't it? Uh, here's, he's talking about those that are, that are outside. By the way, how do you get in? Well, Jesus is the door. Uh, the only way to heaven is through him. Uh, those outside have never come through Christ, the door. They're outside of the sphere of relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. By the way, if Jesus says, I'm the door, what, what's not the door? <laughs> yeah. What's that? Yeah. Baptism is not the door. Good works are not the door. The church is not the door. How about the pastor? Is he the door? <laughs> no. Uh, clergy people are not the door. Uh, Jesus it's just Jesus. He says, I am the door. So the concern here is uh, to be a good testimony uh, towards those that are outside, outside the family of God. And uh, how do you be a good testimony? Well, he has told us here, right? Uh, you live a quiet life. You mind your own business. And you're a hard worker. 
This, this is Christianity in shoe leather. This is really practical stuff as far as being a good testimony uh, in the community. God advocates responsible hard work, minding your own business, learning to live a quiet lifestyle. That is a testimony he emphasizes just before he launches into the strongest text we have on the rapture in the whole New Testament. That's this context. Uh, what does God use as a testimony? Well, often he uses the regular stuff of life related to discipline and hard work. That winsome testimony makes an impact on the lost. I mean, this isn't rocket science, right? This is just plain plodding along. You know, blessed are those who plod, <laughs> the plotters. Uh, so that's what he's emphasizing here. And then he says, uh, notice what the goal is, that you may lack nothing. Wow, uh, this is kind of a, a sanctified self-sufficiency here, right? Uh, this should be the norm that we would be uh, self-sufficient, providing for ourselves in this sense here. Um, Note the goal here, that you may lack nothing. Paul is talking about being financially self-supporting and self-sufficient to the extent that we are able with God's help. It's not a good testimony to be a parasite and just live off of others. Of course, uh, we are all dependent upon God to provide our daily bread, so self-sufficiency here is not to be thought of in terms of not being dependent on God. The emphasis here is that of human responsibility. It's a given that we need to depend on God. And of course, there's always extenuating circumstances. We find other places in the New Testament, uh, widows who uh, you know, meet a certain criteria, uh, the church is to take care of them and so forth. There are certain people that can't, uh, you know, maybe they have a physical disability or whatever it might be, or temporarily they just can't find work, whatever. There's all kinds of extenuating circumstances. We're not talking about that. I don't think he's talking about that. He's talking about the, the norm in, in the main here. Uh, also in Romans, he says, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. In other words, in context, he's talking about pay, pay your bills. Pay your taxes. Pay your bills. Be responsible, citizens. The sense of what Paul is saying is that we should be responsible to our obligations. We should pay our bills. It's really one of the most spiritual things that we do, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, the only thing that we can't pay off is love. That's an ongoing obligation that we always owe more on. So, uh, owe no one anything except to, to love one another. That, that's the goal, uh, that you may lack nothing, as he says here. So, there's a real balance that Paul puts forward here. Uh, we should uh, work while waiting. We're looking for the coming of the Lord, but we should work while waiting. Very, very practical. Notice he starts the chapter. Remember chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. So the emphasis here that he's building on is pleasing God. And how do you do that? Well, you live lives of sexual purity. And that's the first eight verses. And then you live a disciplined life, verses 9 through 12. Uh, Self-discipline. And really that is uh, the outworking of brotherly love, where I'm not just thinking about myself and what others can do for me, but I'm being a responsible member in the family of God in keeping with brotherly love. That, that's walking properly. And then it's a good testimony towards those who are outside. All right, uh, anything else before we wrap up here and share some prayer requests tonight? Yeah, Michael.
amen. You know, when I taught through this, I, I had a, a, lo- a whole section on that where that's exactly what's, uh, you know, Harold uh, Camping, one of the, I mean, everybody, and, and, and made that community look ridiculous. And uh, so, yeah, through, through the church age, there has been that. Uh, and boy, seem to never learn. Do not set dates, especially since the Lord said you don't know the day or the hour. I mean, goodness. But yeah, it leads to a terrible testimony. That's for sure. Very good. Anyone else? Okay. Well, let's share some prayer requests here. Does everybody have a prayer?